Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. I hope you're ready to dive on in. I'm excited for this one. We got a good passage of scripture, but as always, let's pray first, and we're going to welcome God and open our hearts to receive his word. So, Father, thank you that uh, you are awake at 6 a.m., <laughs> that, God, your Holy Spirit is here, and he is ready to speak. So, God, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us today, and Lord, as we uh, dive in, as we look at what you have to say inside your word, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would speak to us today. God, give us wisdom from heaven. And Lord, I pray, let this be uh, direction to our lives and like honey to our life. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, come on. Today, we're diving into Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be reading verses 36 through 56. And if you... Uh, uh, if you like to follow along with translations at all, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, it's a newer translation I've been diving into. It's a, a fun one. But if you want to follow along, I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, starting off at verse 36, it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again. And found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob of swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one arrested. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant 
and cut his ear off. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets could be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Hey, such a good one. Such a great uh, passage or just area of scripture uh, and definitely jam packed with some good stuff. Right. And just all of what was that? 20 verses. It felt like we read almost three different areas or three different chapters of the Bible. But what I love about the Bible is it will have so much to say. All we have to do is just kind of start unpacking some of the luggage. Right. So let's start off verse 36 here. It says. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. So Gethsemane was a garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives. So this garden was an actual uh, olive press. So what they would do at an olive press is, uh, honestly, it's pretty self-explanatory. They get olives and they press them, right? And they would press these olives into oil. And it's kind of the place where you get your extra virgin olive oil. Come on, our Italian people. I love you. Come on. That's exactly where uh, they would get the oil going so that they could cook with. Come on. Uh, all the good stuff. Right. So the Garden of Gethsemane is known as the Garden of Pressing. Now, I think it's interesting because get, uh, Jesus would kind of visit this area a couple different times in his ministry. But. It's very unique to this moment because this is the eve of his crucifixion. So if you think about it, it's like, all right, where are you going to go? It's your last day on earth. Not just that. It's like your last dinner on earth, last night on the planet. What are you going to do? Right. What he said was, I'm going to have dinner with the people I love. And then I'm going to go to a garden, <laughs> which I find so interesting. Like, uh, I'm, I don't know about any of you. I'm not the biggest like Longwood Gardens guy. Um, I'm probably the worst person to go to a museum with. Um, I'm not a good person to go to a zoo with because I'm a check the list off kind of person. Uh, I'm like, OK, I saw the giraffes. I can keep going and just walk right past them. Uh, pray for my beloved wife because she can't stand going to any of the above with me. <laughs> uh, she's more like drop me off and then meet me later. <laughs> so um, but on his last day on earth, he chooses to go to a garden of all places before his crucifixion which if I want to encourage you in the way you read the Bible, the way you interpret the Bible, uh, and the way you kind of unpack and apply it, there are always great questions to ask. So here's one. Why was Jesus inside of a garden on the eve of his crucifixion? Was he just there to simply, uh, you know, not reject, but um, be disappointed by his disciples three times? You know, was he there to, uh, you know, be the spot of betrayal? What was the purpose of the garden? Uh, it's important to know that Jesus had a healthy relationship with his father. I know that sounds so redundant. It sounds so obvious, right? But it's important to know when Jesus was on the earth, he had a very healthy relationship with God, the father. So of all the things he wanted to do on his last night, in his last moments on this earth, 
what he wanted to do was meet with his father on the night of his death. He wanted to meet with his dad and be strengthened before he went to the cross. Because in other uh, passages of scripture or other chapters that uh, line up with this area that speak on the same uh, moment, it says that angels met him in Gethsemane and strengthened him for what was going to be coming. So I want to encourage you. We all want to have our space that we have, an area where we go to pray that's secluded, an area that we go to pray. This is the place where I go to meet Jesus. I'll tell you what, you're in my space with me right now. I go into my little second bedroom of my house, my my, my baby office, and I meet with Jesus here. This is my uh, Gethsemane that we're all sitting in right now. This is the place where I meet with Jesus. So church, I encourage you, find a spot where you like to meet with God the Father and say, this is the spot where he strengthens me. This is the spot where he put, like, you know, adds a little strength to my back, puts my spirit in order and my soul uh, where it needs to be so I can go ahead and face every single day and not, let's say, not physically die, but let's say metaphorically die to myself and put him first. Come on now. So I thought something else was very interesting about the fact that Jesus was in a garden. Uh, and this is one of the beautiful parts of just reading the Bible regularly, right? Uh, Gethsemane, to this date, is one of my favorite areas of scripture. Um, I still have yet to read it without getting emotional. Because this right here is where our God, our God, Jesus, is in the most inner turmoil he's ever been in while on the earth. And in that inner turmoil, he looks at what he wants and he looks at what the father wants and he puts what the father wants first. And it, it's so moving because that is the, let's say, the sermon of our life, right? I want to put what I want on the back burner and put what God wants in front of me and lead with my unyielding yes to Jesus in everything that he wants. I think it's so powerful because Jesus led with this unyielding yes, even through his emotions, but we'll touch on that soon. But it speaks to the redemptive nature of God that Jesus is in a garden the night before his death. Because if I have to remind you again, like I said, I love reading passage of scripture and keep on rereading and rereading because God will speak new, fresh truth each time you read it, right? Because this never clicked for me. Jesus is in a garden. And it was very redemptive inside of the nature of God as to why he was even there. Why? Because it was in a garden where Adam and Eve first ate the fruit and brought sin into the world. And then yet on the eve of his death, Jesus would find himself in a garden again, ready to redeem the world from the curse of sin. How amazing is that, that God will redeem not only people, situations, purposes, but even locations. He said at one point, a garden was a place where man said, not your will, God, but mine be done. Yet it would be in a garden thousands of years later where Jesus would say, no, God, not my will, but yours be done. How powerful is that? Because if uh, if you're not familiar with, like, let's say, uh, cross, like, you know, cross-referencing passages, uh, Jesus had a name inside of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and that is the second Adam or the last Adam, as other translations will say. So the first Adam is Adam inside of the garden. The second Adam, 
is Jesus walking the earth. Why is he called second Adam? Because this is the very, this is the next person aside from Adam himself that had the direct breath of God creating him, right? The virgin conception. And plus, as Adam brought sin into the world, Jesus would bring the curse of sin out of the world, right? So first Adam brought death. The last Adam, Jesus, brought life. The first Adam would eat the forbidden fruit, yet the last Adam would drink of the Father's cup, right? Come on, somebody. The first Adam would turn the world over to Satan, but the last Adam would hand the world back over to his father. See, this is what's so powerful about the redemptive work of God. He sat in the garden and said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And you see, it was this very garden of Gethsemane that Jesus would enter into to be pressed, broken, and beaten down all the way to his death once and for all for the curse of sin, period. And he would put a period at the end of that sentence and say, never again will someone have to die for sin. I will make that payment once and for all. So powerful, church. All right, let's push on. Verses 36 through 38, Jesus finds himself in Gethsemane. He turns to his disciples. He says, hey, sit over here while I pray. Take along Peter and the other two sons of Zebedee. These two sons were James and John. It says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, he says, he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Now, I'm going to make a little uh, confession to all of my, my fusion people today. Please forgive me. Um, when I used to read the Gospels and think of Jesus, in my head, I used to think he was like this emotionless robot that walked the earth and was just calm 24-7. Even I would, I would read passages like this and it made sense to me, like, yeah, you're going to be grieved, you're going to be upset. But in my head, I just thought, yeah, there's no way he's like feeling like we feel. Can I tell you, Jesus is both 100% God and both 100% man. The emotions you feel are the emotions he felt. God wired us all with emotions and so also wired Jesus with emotions because God himself has emotions, right? Like God has burned with anger at moments. There is passage of scripture, uh, uh, is it uh, Zechariah 3.17 where he sings songs of rejoicing over us, songs of deliverance over us out of the joy in his heart. So there are these different areas of scripture where it speaks of the emotional nature of God. And right here on the eve of his death, we see Jesus feeling these different emotions. He's sorrowful. He's troubled. He's grieved all the way to the point of death, right? Another way of saying that is I am experiencing extreme anguish over what's about to come. And uh, Luke chapter 22 is the parallel passage to what we're reading here. And inside of that passage, it says that in this moment, Jesus was praying fervently right after he shares how he feels. He goes and he prays fervently, basically it's very, you know, praying passionately, earnestly. And while he's doing that, Luke 22 says he begins to sweat blood. 
Imagine the amount of stress and weight Jesus is coming uh, under to be able to sweat blood. Now, we know uh, more today, let's say medically, than they did 2,000 years ago. Again, another obvious statement. But what doctors have broken down as to what was happening in that moment was that the capillaries in Jesus's forehead burst from under the extreme amount of stress that he was under. And when they burst, his blood mixed with sweat, and he began to sweat blood just from the stress of what was about to happen. Think about it. He was understanding that something was coming and was stressed about that something coming. You see, I, I want to have a good understanding for us as to why Jesus was feeling this way. Uh, this was not about the physical abuse that he was about to endure. Well, of course, that plays a piece into it. But the physical abuse he would endure would last just for a moment. He knew it. And of course, it's never pleasant to go through something like that. What Jesus was experiencing inside of his soul and both was manifesting in his physical body was because that which eternally knew no sin was about to know sin for the first time. Think about this. God, the son, Jesus, never once knew the weight of sin ever at any point where you and I have felt the pressures of sin because obviously hello hey hi we are all inside of that area right come on we are all sinners saved by grace thank you Jesus he didn't know sin up until this point all he knew was eternal communion with the father but here On the eve of the crucifixion, he knew he was about to bear the weight of mankind's sin. This is the sins of the past, the sins of the present in the day he was living in, and the sins of the future, which is each and every one of us. And you see, uh, God the Son knew, Jesus knew, when he would go up to that cross, the Father would be turning his face from him, breaking communion with the Son. And he would pour out all punishment of sin on his son for each and every one of us. You see, Jesus was going to endure but a moment of physical pain. But that moment of wearing the weight of sin was what was driving him to the point of sweating blood. You see, Jesus was grieved over separation in his relationship with the Father. And this convicts me every single time I read a church. Every time I see this moment of Jesus is grieved and troubled about a broken relationship with the Father, all it makes me think is, how do I really feel about my own sin? Because, come on, uh, I, I, you know, I want to make sure I, I, I walk wisely because I'm in the presence of angels. I recognize that, you know, and I might be the only one with problems uh, on on the Zoom today, on the soap today. <laughs> uh And I recognize that maybe I'm the only one that Jesus is working out still. So I'll look to you guys on the process of perfection, (laughs) right? No, just tongue in cheek. Um, But when I read this, all I can think is, man, Jesus was handling sin and he was broken over it. And yet at times when I sin or I, you know, I fall short of the uh, perfect standard of Jesus, um, you know, sometimes like, okay, God, I thank you for grace. Lord, please forgive me. It doesn't always break me like it was breaking him in this moment, if that makes sense. You know, my prayer is 
that I have the same view of my own sin that Jesus had of sin before he went to the cross. You know, I want to have a right view on what my Savior did for me because he had this grieving inside of him of a broken relationship with the Father in that moment. And I want to have this grieving feeling because if I have that feeling within me of God, I can see sin and salvation correctly. Not only will I view my own relationship with the Father a certain way, treasure it, cherish it, guard it. But when I look at other people, when I look at their lives, I will say, yeah, I am grieving over you because you have to have a right relationship with the Father. And you see, uh, there, there's a lot of different people that I just have the privilege of walking with through different seasons, through different moments of life. And uh, this was some years back, like just really early in ministry for me. And uh, I encountered this individual and he said, yeah, man, I messed up. And he was just confessing his sin to me. And I, I'm always grateful when people walk in vulnerability and just say, hey, I messed up. You know, we don't have to be perfect by any means. And uh, we're sitting down, we're just talking together. And I said, man, listen, why don't we just uh, like, why don't we just repent to the Lord together? Like, how does it sound? We sit down, let's ask Jesus for forgiveness. Let's just welcome him into the room. And uh, he responded, he's like, yeah, I mean, we could, but listen, it's under grace. Like it's under the blood. I don't have to worry about it. Like, I don't know if any of us like grew up in different areas of church or moments where it's like, yeah, it's under the blood. I'm not even worried about it. Um, and I just thought, nah, like we really have to take this seriously. <laughs> you know, like I love the fact that the confidence in the grace of God, the mercy of Jesus, the blood that was shed. Um, but I don't want to be so blase about my own sins and mistakes that I take advantage of the mercy and grace of Jesus. You know, I want to have a proper balance of I can respect and appreciate what he did for me. But at the other side of it, I want to have a proper view on no, I messed up and I need this grace and mercy. And, you know, this type of mindset has kind of given birth to what we call something like hyper grace uh, in the sense of I can do what I want because the grace of God will cover me and forgive me every time. Now, I say that, doesn't it sound like truth? Like what I just said, like it sounds like truth. Yes, the grace will, God's grace isn't running out. His mercy is for us if he forgives us because of that mercy. However, it's still that mercy that's pulling on us and we don't want to take advantage of the endless mercy of Jesus just because it's endless, right? Like all of our married folk uh, doing our soap with us today. Um. If your spouse forgave you 24-7 of all of the endless mistakes that you made, and rather than appreciating that endless mercy, if instead you looked at them and said, is what you do, just forgive me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness, imagine the fights. <laughs> it would be war in the Warner household. <laughs> um, it would never go over, right? Because we don't want to take advantage of the endless, beautiful, mercy that's in front of us. This is the same thing with my Jesus. Don't ever take advantage of the mercy of Jesus in this cross. He will always forgive you of your sin, but there's something special about having a right view of the cross, our sin, and our salvation that helps us not take advantage of the very nature of God. Amen. All right, come on, let's jump to the next one. I am going to jump to verse 39. So he shared he was grieved, right? How he was feeling. Come on, will you guys stay awake with me? 
He takes these three, his inner circle, as some people like to call them, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and if you want a little bit more info on the inner circle side, you can check out Matthew chapter 17 at his transfiguration. Um, and you just kind of see like Jesus would take them on these trips to help impart to them to grow them as people. But verse 39, going a little bit farther, he being Jesus fell face down and prayed. So here he brought people with him, whittled down the crowd as time would go on as he'll walk further. And here he goes off by himself falls face down and begins to pray. My father. The first thing he says is, dad, I need you. And he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. God, let this cup pass from me. What is he saying? Uh, this is obviously not a physical cup that God is giving him, right? He, he's not carrying a teacup and saying, hey, you know, this, please, I don't want the tea, dad, let it pass. No, this is a cup of the punishment of sin, right? That was going to be resting on Jesus. And he says, dad, I don't want to go through with this. Dad, I know I've been here for 33 and a half, 34 years. God, I don't want to, dad, I don't want to do this. I know what I've done up until this point. I don't want to follow through. I don't know if I can handle the weight of this moment. Yet, one of the most powerful words in the Bible right here, yet, as other translations will say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, but God, what do you want? Every follower of Jesus clocks time in Gethsemane. Every single person that says yes to Jesus, yes to his beautiful mercy, yes to his grace, yes to his relationship with or their relationship with God, at some point in time will clock time in Gethsemane. This is one area of our walk with Jesus that we cannot escape. This is one area of our maturity and processing and becoming a disciple and follower of Jesus that we never got to, that. We just, we don't get to avoid this one church. Every one of us clocks time in Gethsemane where we lay down our will, crucify what we want and pick up our cross. And we say, God, not what I will, but your will is what I want in my life. God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. Because I don't know best for me. You know best for me. God, I don't I don't even know what the best path is, but you do. And no matter how painful it is in front of me, no matter how hard it is to go through in front of me, God, I need the courage. I need the strength to go through the process of fulfilling your will for my life, no matter what it looks like. I want us to think about John the Baptist for a moment from the Bible. John the Baptist grew up in the hill country of Judea, out in the like boonies. Y'all, this man lived in the sticks to the max. And John the Baptist for 30 years is trained for six months of ministry. Think about it, 30 years of your life to feed into only a six-month moment, only six-month moment, all of those years of training just for this. 
You see, and that's the beautiful mystery of the will of God. That's the beautiful mystery of Jesus's plans for you and I. And John the Baptist was a man who said, God, not what I will, but yours be done. Even if it's six months, I'm going to do it with everything I got. Even if it's 30 years, I'm going to do it with everything I got. And you see, each one of us, each follower of Jesus has to find their place, has to find that moment where they say, God, I want my will broken so yours can be done inside of my life. And church, I'll kind of share with you uh, like some of mine, you know, when the Lord gave the call to ministry, you know, I was pretty sold out at that point. My, like, all right, God, I'll follow you into everything. But I was doing really well inside of a restaurant career. And I was hired by a corporate office. I was doing extremely well. My job, and I've shared it with us all before, was to uh, go to different states and open restaurants for a restaurant chain or uh, you know a group. And I loved it. I'll train the management staff. This is how you run the place. Uh, we would talk about what the profit and loss, you know, forms would look like. Where's a healthy place to be? You know, what do you want your profits end of day to look like? And how do we use those? How do we grow culture to go ahead and, you know, boost what we're doing inside of this place? I loved it. Every second, I loved it. I'm like, this is fantastic. You know, I would, like, it was just like a passion. You know, I just kind of came alive in that environment. And, uh, I'm doing that. And then God calls me to ministry. And I was like, Lord, that this like I'm not trying to say it's like you know hear me, but this money's good, <laughs> and I'm in church and I love my pastor, <laughs> but I don't know <laughs> if you hear what I'm saying. I'm like I don't know about that. I want my family to never worry about it. You know, I was like, think about it. we have a nice house, we have a nice car. Like I'm going through all the process. I'm going through all the goodies, y'all. Come on. I was like, I want to go out to dinner with my wife. You know, Shannon and I weren't married back then, and I'm like, I'm trying to get her a ring, God, and hear me. Because isn't this what we do, though? We negotiate with God. But Lord, hear me out here, you know, but I kind of want this, 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 and this. Lord, what do you think? And it's in that moment where you're saying, hey, God, I hear your will. I see the cup. And I know I'm in Gethsemane with you in this moment. However, hey, what if we just took a little bit of that away and just add a little bit of mine, right? What if Jesus was like, hey, you know, what if they just like hit me a couple times, but didn't put me on the cross, right? What if they just flogged me, but didn't crucify me? Hear me. The, the thing about following Jesus, he will take pieces of us one piece at a time. But what he's looking for is all of us. So there's this part of saying, God, I'm not holding back. God, you can have my all, whatever it looks like. I don't care. I'm giving it to you. God, you can have every piece of me. And sometimes, church, we have to say no to good to say yes to great. And inside of that relationship with Jesus, where we're saying no to the good things to say yes to the great things, saying no to the lesser to say yes to the greater, right? God, uh, I don't want what's in my hand in my hand. I want your kingdom inside of my hand. And it's from that place of doing life with him of God. I'm clocking my time in Gethsemane. I'm saying no to this and yes to you. I'm saying no to what I've been doing to say yes to what you want me to do. You see, the weight of that moment is so beautiful because it's in that place of crushing where our wills get crushed. And there's something so powerful about that because then I know I'm going to start following God's plan. 
I'm going to start following his road, his purpose for my life. And hear me, uh, I'm not saying that God is telling you to quit your job. Please don't, you know, walk around quoting that to people. Please, please don't say, yeah, this, this young preacher hopped on uh, soap today and told me to quit my job. Please don't do that. <laughs> That's what the Lord called me to do. <laughs> uh, stepped out of restaurant and the Lord gave me my first ministry position out of nowhere. It was supernatural the way it all happened. Um, but there's right. That's the reward of the unyielding, unrelenting. Yes. To Jesus of, I don't care what people think. I, I, well, of course we, we care to a degree, right? Cause we don't be rude, <laughs> but the opinions of people aren't going to hold me back from following Jesus. Uh, and I only care about what my God has to say to me, right? God, if you're calling me to go here, I go here, period, at the end of the sentence. And you see, the weight of Jesus's yes was crushing him, right? This is why he was feeling what he was feeling inside of the garden. This moment of, of communion and relationship with his dad was crushing him in the sense of, I know I have to follow my dad into crucifixion, but there's something I want us to remember today. On the other side of crushing is always a crown. On the other side of you saying, God, I don't get it right now, but not what I want. This is about what you want. When you sit down in your communion time, your devotion time, your relationship time with him, and you say, God, not what I want, but what you want. In that crushing moment, when you say, your will, Lord, is what I want. Your best God is what I want. He trades your crushing for a crown. And on the other side of it, come on, y'all. On the other side of it, we see why Jesus was calling us to what he was calling us to. So come on. You may even feel like right now you're listening. Right now you're engaging, participating, and you are feeling the weight of your life, the weight of situations, the weight of everything right now. And you might feel like you're being crushed by what's going on. And you know, hey, I'm following Jesus. I'm giving him my best. I'm giving him my all. I'm not holding back from him. Hear me. Even Jesus went through Gethsemane. Even he went through his crushing. And I know his crushing lasted, you know, not a short period of time, but, you know, a shorter period of time. And leading into his crucifixion, you may have been sitting inside your crushing for months right now. But hear me, church, on the other side of the crushing is a crown. All Jesus is looking for is your unyielding, unrelenting yes to saying, God, not what I want, but it's all about what you want. So come on, let me pray for you. God, thank you for each and every person uh, engaging in what you're doing today. God, uh, I know these types of messages, these types of areas of passages of scripture um, are sometimes the in your face passages. The ones that convict us, the ones that push us, the ones that pull us. But God, I thank you that you love us enough to challenge us. Because Lord, we don't want to just eat the candy of your word. We don't want to just eat the sweets of your promises. But God, we want the vegetables that grow us. There are nutrition and they challenge us. So God, I thank you that you challenge us inside your word that you pull us closer to you and pull us into our own per personal Gethsemanes where we get to be pressed and crushed so that we can look more like your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, today, we just give you free reign. We give you an open door to come do what only you can do inside of our lives and make us look 
more like Jesus. And God, I pray for each person uh, that might be inside of their own personal Gethsemane today. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would do for them what you did for Jesus. Send angelic hosts to strengthen them where they are, to give them courage to keep going, and to give them grace to keep on giving you their yes. And God, we just thank you for everything you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for saving us from our sin. And God, opening up the door to your throne room so we can receive grace and mercy for today. So Lord, I just pray, release your grace and mercy on all of us today. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful Thursday. Love you. And uh, hey, just really quick, because I want to close with this. Doug dropped it in the chat earlier. But please, please, please take a minute or two today at 1210 to join us in praying, uh, our church staff, our pastors, everyone. And we're just calling everyone we know to pray at 1210 today for our egg drop this Saturday. Uh, we're praying for good weather and we're believing that the rain's not going to come because right now it's calling for rain and we want to reach people far from Jesus. And we don't want some drops to stop that. You know what I mean? We don't want a little H2O to stop us from doing that. So please, please, please partner with us. We're just praying that the storms would just hold off maybe even long enough for us just to do the event or go away entirely. So please join us. That's going to be at 1210 today. All right. God bless you all. Love you all. Have a great day.